I see this dude's security coming over. Oh, big dude, security. I'm like, oh shit, all right, cool. Security's about to come over, break it up. I stood my ground. Cool. Was the security, it was his homie, and then I got stomped. It was a massacre. Here it comes. Hey, here it comes. You're listening to Fresh Era, where we tell stories of the legends from the golden era of hip hop. My name is Craig Smith. Each episode will bring you interviews from the pioneers themselves as we dive deep into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. On this episode, we talk to Fatlip, a member of the trend-setting rap group The Far Side. They're known for their smash singles Ya Mama, Passing Me By, and Running. For years, there have been speculation about where they went and why this important part of hip-hop fell apart. Today, we tell that story. Fat Lip can be described as talented, intellectual, and eccentric. You can hear it in his lyrics. Dude just thinks on another level. He was born in Los Angeles in 69 and grew up close to the action. We didn't live in like a really fucked up neighborhood, but a mile away, it was like just gang bang central. He grew up being raised by his mom with his brother and sister. My father was around every six months. He was smart. That's what my mother said. One thing I'll give him credit for is not being around. Because I don't feel the weight of, like, that dysfunction. To his credit, I think he did that on purpose. Like, you know, he intentionally kind of didn't bring that to the house. So his mother did what she could to make the best life for her kids. She, like a lot of moms, held down several jobs. Teacher, uh, musician. She played piano. She directed the choir in church. My mother met my father in church. It was his mother's mission to get them to a better school and around people that they wouldn't otherwise have met living in their neighborhood. So she moved across town. Got us out of there, over to the west side. So it was all it was all good. I went to school, elementary school, pretty much in Beverly Hills, like you know, like right off of Wilshire. And this, my mom would always say, "Why oh, you 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 can walk to Wilshire? That's the richest street in the neighborhood." You know. What I mean? And despite living near wealth. The pressures of being a kid who felt different weighed heavy. That's when the class clown thing kicked in, you know what I mean? Because it's either you're going to be tough or funny. But also, my grades was bad. Like, they were worse than anybody's. <laughs> and I remember, it's like, damn, cuz, this nigga got six flags, six fails. School wasn't his thing. It seems that he was one of those people who was going to be unapologetically original. When I was, like, when I was younger, I remember listening to the radio, like, before... Hip-hop came. I usually remember just waiting on certain songs to come on the radio. I ain't missing you at all. Hey, remember that shit? Junior high school was when I started listening to hip-hop. The original K-Day was, you know, K-Day uh, on AM. Hey, I'm Stereo, K-D-A-Y. Yo, man, what do you want to say? And it was, you know, all the shit was, that was coming from New York. And it was huge in all the high schools, the, the high school dances. L.A. had a huge uh, dance scene where all the high schools in L.A. had, like, dance groups that represented their high school. Yeah, we had dance groups and dance competitions, and we dressed like uh, Pee Wee Herman. Like we, and we had relaxers and we wore creepers and turtlenecks, like, you know, Pete Herman. That was our retro back then. Dancing in his crew with his friends was his outlet. Back then, under the name Jammer D, he would dance at parties and contests. But eventually, he was introduced to something that would open his mind to experimenting with actually making hip hop music weed. <laughs> weed. And we're forgetting, like, you know, turntable equipment came 
the mechanics of the whole thing. Like, yo, who has a mixer? Who has a turntable? So whoever had that, you was over there all day. It's just this whole new, like, wave with, with the technology and new dances. And that's when the weed started to do its work. And then the music started to really, really sound good. Like, you really started noticing shit. Like, oh, shit. And then you... And then by that time, you know, K-Day was still popping. And K-Day was the portal to hip-hop. The best way for a kid in L.A. to dissect what was going on in New York's hip-hop scene. But deep down, even with hip-hop on the rise, he had the desire to pursue a conventional lifestyle. But it was like nothing was easy and everything was against him. It was a moment where I just said, fuck it, this shit ain't working. Because, yeah, I wanted to wear a tie. I wanted to wear a tie. At that age, I feel like you want to be respected, I guess. Yeah, you want to be, you know, not looked at as or looked down upon. And inevitably, he came to grips with the fact that he was just different. But luckily, this thing with like that was going on in the city, because L.A. is a, um, you know, it's an entertainment capital. So I saw the possibility of something. I, I felt it. Something was indeed bubbling in the city, and Fat Lip had a lot of time to figure out how he fit into it. So then, yeah, and then I just used to stay up all night. I just used to stay up all night and write rhymes. And he would figure out ways to create his own instrumentals. The last eight bars of Big Daddy Kane. You would have a record player and a tape player connected together, and you would play one part of the song and pause it, take that part of the song back and play it again and record it again and like do a loop like that. So it was like little things that I was starting to do as far as like record and just mess with sound, really. I used to walk around with a dictionary and then I discovered they had a rhyming dictionary. Everyone in my neighborhood, including my brother and my sister, like I was already like the loser because the goal was to do this and that and I wasn't doing none of that shit. But then I swear when I started writing and those rhymes started to come and I started to really, be, like you say, become like tangible. That was awesome. That was the best. That was the best thing in the world. It was like just going into a whole other world. But I think the sweetest thing about it is no one knew about it. They still thought I was on some loser shit. I was like, nah, I found some shit. As soon as they heard me rap, I was a rapper. They're like, oh, you're a rapper. What Fat Lip didn't know was that all of these things, the neighborhood, being class clown, his upbringing, and music would all take him places. His big break in the industry was closer than he could have imagined. Coming up, Fat Lip takes a journey to the far side. Listen, nobody cares when the War of 1812 was fought or how many states there are in the U.S. We all know that there are 52, I think. What we really care about is which famous gangster rapper actually started as a backup dancer or how many ladies per capita love Cool James. This is Magic Most, host of the new classic hip-hop gamecast, Headspin, brought to you by Stupid Fly. Our first show launches on Wednesday, June 30th, but you can subscribe today. Headspin, the world's first and greatest golden era hip-hop gamecast. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY 
at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Fat Lip was well on his way to becoming a bona fide rapper. He was still a dancer, but now he was discovering music in brand new ways. He knew he potentially had something. But would the rest of the world think the same about his skill? On the radio, on K-Day, there was like, uh, come on down, you know, to Crenshaw and... Richie Simmons is going, you know, whoever it was at the radio station. It's going to be down there looking for talent. I went to a few of them. I was going to them. People was fucking with me. They was feeling me. My whole thing was, like, I used to dress like a nerd. I wanted to separate myself. And just, uh, at that point, I had been, like, the outcast, you know, everywhere. Family, neighborhood. I feel like that really made me develop my own personality and identity and the fact that I was like secretly building rhymes and like really crafting some shit without any permission or encouragement from anybody else, I was starting to feel myself. And this is where opportunity meets preparation. If you can see the opportunity. Fat Lip didn't know it, but he was about to be introduced to a kid who would change his life and create all the tracks for Bizarre Ride to the Far Side. You know, a showcase that I went to and I met this kid uh, and he was like, yo, my name is Jay Swift. My group is performing. I did beats for these guys that are performing. I saw you do your shit. Like, I, went, I went and worked with you. Like, I think he was maybe like 17. And so he gave me his number. And I actually threw the number away. Too young, in my mind, to be like a record executive or what I thought a record executive was. So he went along with his life, not thinking anything of it when... My girlfriend... At the time, Sherry had a friend over her house. They were in the kitchen, and she was talking about some guy who was trying to show her the studio so he can smash. And then for some reason, I was like, yo, what does what, what this dude look like? We were talking. What was his name? He told me his name was John. He told her his name was Juan. Like, I, I sound like the same dude. <laughs> and it was. Same dude. She's like, yeah, he tried to take me in there and and trying to kiss on me, and I was like, but it was a studio. She's like, yeah, yeah. And that was it. I was like, you have the number, and then I called him, and then... And then it was on. The studio belonged to Reggie Andrews, a musician who had written for DeBarge, Daz Band, and was mentoring Jay Swift, along with other young artists at the time. His organization was called South Central Unit. Reggie Andrews had created a Motown-like oasis for these kids to grow musically all in a converted house. Fat Lip was ready to jump in, and Jay Swift gave him the invitation. Well, he told me to bring my record. I bought my James Brown record so he can sample it. But as soon as he played a beat from the MPC, it was like an MPC 60. I never knew anybody with a studio, so I never heard a real beat that I heard on the radio in person. As soon as I heard the sound, I was like, oh, it's crap. It's about to be on. And he looped up the record that I bought, and I, I spit my song that day, recorded it. Like, Yo, welcome to the family. And the family was deep. There were singing groups, solo acts, producers, dancers, all there to become great. And every Wednesday we had like um, basically demo showcase where we would, you know, 
play what we were working on because Reggie's whole philosophy was, you know, you got to get feedback. Among the girls and guys coming in and out of South Central Unit every day, Fat Lip would meet his soon-to-be groupmates. The group would grow to consist of Fat Lip, who at the time was going by Jammer D, Slim Kid Trey, Imani, and Booty Brown, who you'll hear referred to as Romai. They was already in a, in, already in a group called Two for Two. And it was like everyone at that time was trying to be like Teddy Riley and, and um, all of those New Jack Swing groups. We we actually recorded, did an actual record with uh, uh, the, the daughter of Millie Jackson, uh, Keisha Jackson. So I, I wrote the song and Jay did the beat. And I'm like on there trying to sound like Heavy D. And then, yeah, I called Imani one day. I was like, bro, if we become a group, we should be a group. And then when we made the decision to become a group, I remember it. And we were just all standing like, yeah, now we're a group. And we were. We kind of strayed away from, you know, our mentor. As the, oh, oh, it's, this shit always happens, right? You just kind of like stray away from your mentor and start growing into your own kind of thing. And he allowed us to do that. Like, he let us stay there. We were like, went into his garage and just uh, noticed that he had this crate of records that a lot of them were untouched. And we just asked him to, to uh, can we go through them? And he was like, yeah. Like I said, Jay was making uh, New Jack Swing beats like Teddy Riley. I wasn't on that. I'm the most... Hip hop out of the far side. I'm going to say that, and I don't think anyone would test me on that. And that's what that's what was pushing me. It was like, no, we need to find those beats that, those hip hop beats. It was just energy, you know what I mean? Like we was at just that at that age where we was just like loud and just fucking rambunctious and fucking aggressive and like arguing with each other about dumb shit that we were really, you know, really serious about. Man, you don't know if roaches can think. You don't know that shit. Every record from our album came from that crate, from the, that collection. And so we were just finding them one by one. We made your mama. We made I'm the type of nigga. And then when we found the first Quincy Jones uh, sample, Jay wanted to make his, uh, he wanted to make that a beat. And then the other sample, Hills Where the Lords Hide, he wanted to make another beat. Those two samples in Pass Me By were very close to being two completely different songs. Booty Brown, Romai said, nah, put those together. Brown didn't know how to make beats at that time, but he was like, nah, put those together. So that night when we were working on uh, the beat, Romai was listening to the da, na, na, na. We should call this shit Time Keeps On Passing Me By. What about She Keeps On Passing Me By? And then I just grabbed the mic and then I sang that shit. So they had a demo. They were well on their way, but they still needed a name. We were going to be called The Rappers. That was our sense of humor. Oh, we're so cool. We're just going to call ourselves The Rappers. My girlfriend... At the time, Sherry, she had a calendar, a far side calendar from the comic strip. Boom. They have a name and a demo. 
The only thing they needed for industry success was a deal. So I don't know how it got into the hands of Paul Stewart. Paul Stewart, the man who's credited with discovering legends like Warren G and Coolio. He got it and he met with us at our spot. From then on, we were just getting offers. I was excited to make something happen. I literally would have signed with anybody at that point. Into Delicious Vinyl, known for putting out music with artists Tone Loke, The Wild Thing, Master Ace, I was born and Young MC. Just bust the move. So the thing with Delicious, what made it such a good choice was they had all of these artists, you know, they were indie label, and they were like laid back kind of guys. They smoked weed too. It was really an artsy-fartsy kind of label that was perfect for Farside. So something finally worked out. The loner who couldn't be a lawyer found a tribe and a career in hip-hop. This new lifestyle deserved a new name. Jammer D was no more. You know, back in the day, they used to have those stickers for a clothing line. And it was like a fat lip clothing line, and I just went with it. And speaking of names... Mike Ross and Rick Ross. Shout out to the, the Ross brothers at Delicious Vinyl. Rick Ross was concerned <laughs> that spelling the name P-H-A-R-C-Y-D-E might throw off consumers when they're looking for it and placing it in alphabetical order. So he sat there and said, what if we spell it F-P-H-A-R-C-Y-D-E? And for a day, that's what it was going to be. And it was so fucked up because we were going to take the deal. But then, you know what I mean? Like, could you imagine if f it was an F in front of it. Nevertheless, Bizarre Ride to the Far Side was released in November of 92, and the group was well on their way to infamy. Fat Lip had found a home among like-minded people and was about to experience more success than he knew could be possible. With success comes change, and sometimes change isn't a team sport. You're about to hear the story of how the Far Side went from thriving to dividing, and how Fat Lip became the loneliest punk. DJ Cool, and I'm here to tell you about a new stupid fly podcast I'm on called Headspin, the classic hip-hop trivia gamecast. Headspin! Come listen as two golden era gladiators compete head-to-head to see who will be victorious in their knowledge of completely useless hip-hop trivia. Headspin! The winner will go home with cold hard cash, while the loser will be forced to spin the dreaded hip-hop wheel of consequences. Headspin premieres June 30th with new episodes every Wednesday after. Make sure to subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts and follow at Headspin Game Show to get in on the action. Headspin, the only classic hip-hop game cast. Headspin! Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery Starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. In 1992, The Far Side created what is widely regarded as one of the most important hip-hop albums to date in Bizarre Ride to the Far Side. When the album first came out, the reception was, it was decent. It was definitely decent, uh, more so by the industry, because 
people were interested in, in the music, but just also our, our antics. We got the group The Far Side from Delicious Vinyl Records. Why don't you uh, pull your mics up to your mouths and why don't we introduce ourselves? Yo, my name is Fat Lip, and I'm from The Far Side. I'm from the West Coast. You'll see why we got it going on. Our, uh, our shit, oh, damn, why they want to cry? When Run DMC was on BET being interviewed, they asked, what do they think about the new West Coast movement? And Run was like, yo, I love Snoop, I love Dre, but then Farside cats? Indeed, the industry loved the Farside, but they could be a hard sell at times. Hip-hop in some areas was still rough and rugged. It's kind of hard to imagine now, but there was a time in hip-hop when different wasn't acceptable. That was difficult because different was kind of Farside's thing. Even though they were a West Coast act on a predominantly West Coast tour with Ice Cube as the headliner, they were not always welcome. And those shows could get wild. We was on stage, your mama, yeah. And this one dude was just like, fuck all stage. I, I couldn't hear him, but I could see his mouth was saying that. And once they wrapped up their set, we need to get out of here as soon as we get off stage. Happened, the hotel happened to be like right up the street from the venue. As soon as we got to the room, just like we saw like the back door just open up. It was just straight up like battle like it was a brawl that went on for like maybe like 40 minutes or maybe longer than that because i was filming it it was on for so long it, it came on the news that shit was crazy we didn't really take advantage of like a rock star kind of lifestyle until much much later uh we were really still dedicated to the culture up until the second album like we were doing all the radio things doing all the after parties and like all the ciphers with all the MCs, because that was a really important thing. I don't know, we were, we were never really satisfied. It was always something that you wanted to like achieve. In that way, yeah, it was competitive. You know, my girl used to clown me. It's like, she worked at Loud Records. So like, whenever we get into an argument about some shit, she was flipping on some shit like, God, soft, like. <laughs> and Fat Lip, being driven to create more, was starting to feel the effects of tour life. We weren't developing, we weren't growing artistically, we weren't. Lyrically, we weren't. With that, and, and now Wu-Tang and all these other groups coming with that heat, I need to step my shit up, my crew needs to step their shit up, and we kind of wasn't. We kind of was just on tour. You know, we was making money from on, being on tour. Everybody was making money, you know. I just felt like we, we need to come, because Lab Cabin wasn't that great. Uh, as debatable as that statement is, Fat Lip says that there was friction. Be it the Wu-Tang comparisons or Fat Lip's growing disdain for tour, some energy from the group's first album was lost in creating the second. I don't know, the synchronicity of all the men or the harmony. Of, like, it seemed like a little more disconnected than the first album. They had a budget, and then we was like, yo, we want, they was like, what you want to do? And then we was like, we want to go to New York. We want to... We used to look at wherever someone recorded an album, Tribe or anybody, and we do all the studios and engineers. So we wanted to work with all the people that we had studied from the album credits. Tip was the first person we went to, but he was working on some other shit, and that's when he gave us the JD CD. He was like, yo, I got this kid, JD. In case you didn't catch that, that's Tip as in Q-Tip, and the kid, JD, was the late, great Jay Dilla. They needed a producer because the group and their original producer, Jay Swift, had some ideological differences. Well, we, we got into it before the album, uh, before the first album was finished, because it was a discrepancy over who was producing this shit. 
Jay was like, well, my, I was putting my hands on the drum machine, but yeah, but you wasn't going to put Summer in the City and where the hills where the Lord's high. You wasn't going to put that together to make Pass Me By. You know that. We felt like we should have got co-production on the album, and I don't think we did. So with Jay Dilla as their producer, they spent a lot of time creating while in New York, the place that influenced Fat Lip and made him want to be a rapper. But again, New York wasn't a very open and inclusive place for the unknown. Really, I believe what caused a lot of this shit is I had on plaid pants. And I was dancing. And remember earlier, I was saying I wasn't that great. And I wasn't. But I, I was, like, confident. But I wasn't. You can't be a confident bad dancer. You're going to bring a lot of a negative attention to yourself. You know, I heard somebody say, give it up, God. That's what I heard, and then I, I should have, I feel like. And then, yeah, somebody was, like, tapping me on my back and, like, doing some kind of, like, mental, like, mind games and shit, and, and I turned around and, like, you know, trying to see what's up. with like, what's, what's up, you know? I ain't no punk, you know what I mean? And then he pulled his shit, like, this full New York thing with the grills. I was like, oh, shit, it's like a video shit. Oh, shit. What's up, kid? What's up, kid? I'm, you know, total talk. I, you know, I stood my, my ground, and then uh, to, uh, I see this dude's security coming over. Oh, big dude, security. I'm like, oh, shit, all right, cool. Security's about to come over, break it up. I stood my ground. Cool. Wasn't security, it was his homie, and then I got stomped by three of them, and then Romai picked me up, and he got beat up, and then uh, it was a massacre. It was a massacre. The second time we was out there, that shit was happening again. They was coming, they was calling, we was at the studio, and it was like, yo, we outside, 100 deep. But that's where the song Run, uh, Running Away came from, you know, we because we was out in New York, you know, getting tested like that, you know what I mean? That inspiration, along with the sounds of Jay Dilla, helped sculpt their sophomore album, Lab Cabin, California. It was released in 1995. I never thought that the album was that really as good as people were saying it is. I never thought that people would enjoy the album like the way they express that they do. We never listened to our own album. This perspective was accompanied by some growing tensions in the group. Looking back... Fat Lip doesn't remember things going smoothly. He says that they were barely paid and things were disorganized, among having creative differences during the creation of their second album. That, plus the fatigue with touring, naturally led to distance between him and the group. Like, that, that was my response to it. I was like, you know what? Fuck all this shit. And then, uh, and yeah, and then, yeah, they came to my crib one time and it was like, yo, Man, we think you go. That's exactly how they pit it. You know, we think you know you need to go do a solo record. I was like, all right. And then I was, they, they, and then they left. They left. Just like that, Fat Lip was out of the group. But by by then, you know, we had already had falling outs, a lot of falling outs by then. And like we used to argue, but it wasn't. It was only to a certain level. Booty Brown and Imani did an interview in 2015 with DJ Ski detailing the circumstances around Fat Lip leaving, followed closely by the departure of Slim Kid Trey. Me and Trey didn't know Fat Lip. Trey had a very big situation with Fat Lip. He told me I cannot be creative with him. Fat Lip is too negative. He called me and said, it's either Fat Lip is leaving the group or I'm leaving the group. He's my boy. And we're like, dude, Fat Lip would always walk around saying, man, we're not a group, man. I'm going to do my solo stuff. So we, And he was more accomplished because he had been rapping longer. 
We, we can't. We decided as a group to say, look, Fat Lip, it's time to do your solo thing. And Trey was like, okay, boom. And then as soon as that happened, Trey went and got a solo deal, and he left the group also. Yeah, man. They, I mean, they were like brothers. I mean, I when they kicked me out of the group, I did I cry? Did I did when they left? Did I cry? Yes. They were like we. They were like we were like brothers. We were like brothers. And I, and for a long time, I wanted the group to you know to be a group. And with the group all but disbanded, Fat Lip was propelled into his solo career. And then uh, yeah, back then yeah, it was money. And, and like as soon as I got off the group, I got another budget. Like the next day, I was. But it was with yeah, it was with Jay Swift and Buckwheat from the Wascos, and we had a group called the Horrible Brothers. And then uh, it was it was horrible. We rented a house and did coke. When we turned in three songs six months later, it was like, nah, you guys, you got to be kidding me. We probably thought it wasn't as bad as it was. So like, we were giving it to, oh, this is just a demo. Right after that, I got I got a deal. The Loneliest Punk album, I was doing that shit. I was having vocal throat problems. My shit was just tense. So it took me a long time to even do that record. When I listen to it now, it's dope, actually. I think I'm dope. I think I'm, now I think I'm dope. But like for a long time, I was, you know, I, I wasn't so sure. He released his solo album, The Loneliest Punk, in November 2005. It had been four years since he released the album single, What's Up, Fat Lip? The song and music video directed by Spike Jones was a self-deprecating satire on his life. Who am I kidding? Who am I fooling when they be like, What's up, Fat Lip? And I said, Coolin'. Who am I kidding? Who am I fooling when they be like, What's up, Fat Lip? And I said, Coolin'. At the time, the What's Up Fat Lip video with Spike, uh, was it fun doing it? Kind of. Yeah, it was. It, it felt right. When it came out, was it fun to sit and watch it with my peoples? Not really. Fat Lip has always been different. He had to constantly contend with the fact that he was not the typical rapper, nor was he on the typical path. He says that he was regarded as a loser growing up by his peers and even his siblings. They never were there for me. Like, uh, my mother was, but, like, everyone else was used to shit on me. But I have to thank them for that. Like, I, used to, I have to thank them. I love my brother and sister, you know. Uh, but, no, they used to shit on me. That's what made me who I was, though. The world that I had now been in just, you know, was almost, like, uh, sucked up by aliens to another planet. I was just not the same. It was a completely different world. And looking back on his time in that world... He sees areas where he could have done things differently. I didn't work hard enough. I didn't work hard enough. And it's hard to because you don't really have a boss. And so it's it's hard to manage and be the boss of yourself. It takes a lot of responsibility to do that. I romanticized about something that I shouldn't have, and it fucked me up, which was that, like, that you had to be a fuck-up to be a, a genius and it wasn't until like 2009, 2010, when you see Jay-Z and Kanye making hot shit and paying their bills and like just being normal people that work. If I would do it over again or what have I learned from any mistake, it would be like, you don't have to be a train wreck. You shouldn't be a train wreck. You can actually do dope music and still be cool and still pay your taxes and handle your business. Even having gone through that, the legacy of Fat Lip and The Far Side is highly regarded as genius-level hip-hop. The album Bizarre Ride to The Far Side is atop the list of favorite albums of many people, including, famously, Kanye West. 
Their songs still appear in movies and TV shows to this day. It's like people that are like in a position to, to put shit on soundtracks. It's like they're hip-hop heads, man. That's it. That shit feels great. Fat Lip and Slim Kid Trey still perform together periodically despite the group's split. And Fat Lip is still making music today. Fresh Era is a Stupid Fly production, written and edited by me, Craig Smith, and made perfect by the phenomenal DJ Cheap Shot. Chris Barnett makes us look good to investors. Sean Berman is our mix engineer. Our music is by The Math Club. Artwork by Michael Bonanno. You can find us on social media at Stupid Fly Media, and all of our real fans can catch us at stupid-fly.com, where you can learn more about us and buy Stupid Fly merchandise. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, or however you listen to the show. We'll see you on the next episode of Fresh Era.